Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen me to deliver a word of power so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Acts 26, Acts 16, 26 in the NIV says, Everyone's chains came loose. And that's our theme verse. I remember about a year and a half ago, I had this compelling idea. I said, the church must have a website. So I went up to pastor and said, hey, pastor. He said, hey. I said, we need a website. He says, sounds like a good idea. I said, I'll take care of all the details, just give me the green light. He said, go. But you may want to speak to a brother in the church by the name of Rudy. He's the computer guy. I said, all right. So one day at the church, I said, hey, brother Rudy, I'm Elijah. He said, hey. I said, I have this idea that the church needs a website, and I hear that you're a computer guy. And what I saw is his eyes dilate real wide, and I could see fireworks begin to go off. As if he had the blueprint already laid out of what he was going to do, he just needed a simple invitation. And then we let him loose. And before I knew it, things just began happening. TV showed up. So now anyone who walked into the church who didn't have a Bible could read the Word of God for themselves. Next thing I know, the singers had a projector, so if they missed a word or forgot what came next, they would be prepared. Next thing I know, we began streaming online. Next thing I know, every Sunday, there were more people watching us online than were coming to church. The next thing I realized is that not only were we broadcasting to people in the United States, we now had a ministry that was spanning three different continents. It was a chain reaction that began with a simple conversation between two men on a Sunday morning. And notice this, the end result of the chain reaction was far greater than the effort put in. If you told anyone in this church two years ago, it is your calling to have a worldwide ministry that spans three continents and preaches to thousands of people, we automatically would have thought, we need millions of dollars, we need thousands of people. But when you take small incremental steps, and have a unified gaze on God, a chain reaction will have cataclysmic, earth-changing results. 
So the question I ask myself is, where can we find evidence of biblical truth as it pertains to chain reactions? And that answer can be found in Acts chapter 16, where we find the Apostle Paul who takes small incremental steps as part of a chain reaction that ends up starting a movement which changes the world. He took small, simple, everyday steps, and so can you. And those three steps are as simple as A, B, and C. So ingredient A, how to start a chain reaction. Ingredient A, act with purpose. Act with purpose. So what is purpose? Purpose is the reason why you were created. And let's see what the text tells us about purpose. Acts 16, 4 to 8, the NASB. Now while they, Paul and Timothy, were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. They passed through what is now the region of Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia. And the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. So again, what is purpose? Purpose is the reason why you were created. Isaiah already tells us what our purpose is to glorify God. Therefore, your specific purpose in life is the specific way in which you will bring glory to God. Purpose is what fuels the fire in your bones. And if you listen to my last sermon, Purpose is what gives your rider a specific direction. It tells you where you're going. And as we're looking ahead to 2016, and there are fresh new ideas and fresh new horizons coming about, everyone needs a keen sense of what their purpose is. The book of Acts is a book filled with acts. Everyone in Acts had purpose. And as a result of that purpose, everyone was always doing something. Because faith animates your purpose, and purpose compels you to act. And the book of James tells us that faith without works is meaningless. Now, we all know that our works do not save us. But works is what validates the faith within each one of us. Consider this. Consider a Christian, a Muslim, and a Buddhist. All of which say they have faith. But none of the three actually does anything in support of that faith. How could you tell the three apart? And the answer is, you can't. 
which is why we need purpose driven by faith to compel us to act. Now, what is your purpose? That is not a question I can simply answer for you. But what I can say is that your purpose always makes sense of your life experiences. Your purpose always makes sense of your life experiences. So let's get back to Acts chapter 16. Here we have the Apostle Paul. He's a good guy. He's working for Christ. Paul used to be a bad guy. Back in the day, his name was Saul. And if I were to be theologically creative, I would say the purpose of Paul's entire life was to preach the truth of God's word. When Paul was Saul and he was a Jewish legal scholar, he was teaching and preaching the truth of God's word, but he was using that truth to promote himself and his knowledge and to oppress other people. Then what happened? One day on a road, Saul met Jesus. Jesus basically said, why are you hating on me? Literally, Paul, Saul went blind and his eyes were opened. And once he began following Christ, he still had purpose, which was to preach and teach the truth of God's word. But the focus of that purpose was now Jesus, not an adamant law or some other form of religious institution. So one day when Paul was in his room wondering to himself, what is my specific purpose? He could look back at his life and say, now I get it. Now it makes sense. The reason why I had all of this religious training, the reason why I was so well indoctrinated in God's word is because my purpose makes sense of my past. And that's what compelled him forward. So you may be listening to these words right now asking yourself, what is my purpose? And the good news is that we serve a God who is sovereign. You are not a mistake, and your experiences are not a mistake. Your experiences is what makes you uniquely you, and that is what fuels your purpose. The other key ingredient of purpose is that it cannot tolerate complacency. Purpose cannot tolerate complacency. And as a result, purpose breaks the chains of contentment. Let's break that down. So Acts 16, verse 5. The text says, So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Stop. This verse basically says Paul and Silas were in a particular group of churches. Things were going good. The singers were singing well. The chairs were filled every Sunday. People were tithing. People were being saved each and every Sunday. But then what does the next verse say? The next verse says they passed through. They kept on moving. 
If you insert any church leader today into Church 5 and you tell them, hey, pastor, hey, bishop, hey, deacon, the number of seats in your church can't accommodate the number of people who want to come. People are giving so much money, we don't know what to do with it. The sign-up sheet for Bible class, there's no space left. You're doing so good. The typical church leader would say, things are going great. Let's stay where we are and do what we've been doing. But what does verse 6 say? Verse 5 says, things were going great. Verse 6 then says, they kept it moving. And the reason why is because Paul and Silas both were acting with purpose. And even when complacency is a place when things are going very, very well, purpose is what compels you to go farther and to push harder. Now, you may ask yourself, what if I'm not sure? What if I'm not exactly clear of what my purpose is? And my answer was, neither was Paul. But he never allowed his lack of certainty to disable him. him. He actually had a bias for action. The text says this, Paul and Silas, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. If Paul had an exact idea of where he needed to go, God wouldn't have had to redirect him. So he didn't know. He had a very specific purpose, but was unclear of how that spelled out in real life. But he never allowed that lack of certainty to deter him. He allowed the certainty of God to redirect him as need be. Pull up the map. Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 basically had to go in one direction. That direction is left from what is modern-day Turkey to modern-day Greece. They could have made small twists and turns here and there, but as long as they kept on going left, they were fine. The second they made a turn to go right in the wrong direction, what did God do? He intervened to redirect them and put them back on track, and they ended up where they needed to be. There's a simple way of understanding this. When I first got my Jeep, the pre-programmed navigation system was irritating. It was this voice that was giving me directions every five or six seconds. Come out of your driveway, turn left, there's a stop sign, there's a light, there may be traffic, there's not traffic, make a right turn here. It was aggravating. So I went into the settings and turned the navigation warnings all the way down to the lowest setting. Now what happens, the GPS rarely tells me anything it'll automatically readjust if I make a minor incorrect turn. It'll reprogram a route and it'll still get me where I need to go. But the second I make a turn that is dangerous, that's gonna put me in a place I'm not supposed to be, the GPS speaks and it says, stop, turn around, 
you're going in the wrong direction. And it'll bring me back to where I'm supposed to be. And that's exactly how God works, like a quiet GPS. And that's exactly what he did with Paul and Silas. So you may not know specifically where you're going to go, but know that your freedom is already predefined by a sovereign God. So you can't override him. And when you act and take a step, he will always redirect you. Faith is what compels us to seek God, and purpose is what gives us the confidence to take the first step. And there is nothing we can ever do to override his sovereignty. So Paul here in Acts chapter 16 acted with purpose. And this purpose is what set him up for the next stage of his chain reaction, which is ingredient B. Ingredient B, build up others. Build up others. So Paul and Silas, they're in Turkey. They reach a city called Troas. Paul has a vision where a man says, come to Macedonia or Greece to help us. So the text says immediately Paul gets up They take a ship, and they land in what is modern-day Greece, the city of Philippi. And then once they get there, they immediately take action. And Acts 16, verses 13 to 15 say, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside, where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer, and we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So ingredient B, build with others, the first thing to take note of is this. Building always uses existing raw materials. No one ever builds out of nothing. Only God can do that. So when you build up others, you work with the existing raw material of that person. You never strive to make someone else in your own image or an idea that you have. Everyone has a specific individual purpose, and you build from the foundation of that particular individual in the body of Christ. Now in Acts 16, Paul and Silas go up and begin speaking to women in public. So when when we read... Paul and Silas sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. To us, this verse is not a big deal. We casually brush over it because we want to get to the good stuff. We want to get to the earthquake and the change being loosed and the jailer. This is kind of like, whatever, incidental note. But in the time period when this was written, 
Acts chapter 16, verse 13 would have been earth-shattering. We're talking when Darth Vader told Luke Skywalker, I am your father, it was a big deal. That's how big it was. It was like watching the sixth sense, then finding out Bruce Willis was dead the entire time. That's how big of a deal this was. If someone heard this in the first century, they would have heard these words, they would have jumped up and shouted, ran out the house, did a few laps, came back in, and gave someone a high five. Why? Because this type of behavior was radical, and it shattered social norms and expectations. It was radical behavior with the intent of building someone else up. Why? Because Paul, who was Jewish, and Silas, who was half-Jewish, weren't supposed to be talking to women in public. That was a no-no. Because back then, men had no business speaking to women that weren't their relatives. That's how things were. It was an oppressive society. On top of that, Lydia was a Roman. Lydia was also rich. In Roman society, if you were rich, you didn't even look at someone who didn't have as much money as you did. So Paul and Silas were breaking the rules speaking to Lydia, and she was breaking the rules speaking to them. They were two groups that had no business affiliating with one another, and they defied the rules. It was radical intent, which is interesting, because when we think of the church today, we think about it as the people that we don't talk to. We think about traditional values and usually right-wing views. But here in the first century in Acts 16, this was extreme radical left behavior, which would have shocked people. They would have said, this is what Christianity is all about? Yes, it was. And the reason why Christianity spread like wildfire is because it liberated people on the margins, especially women. Did you know that you could become a Christian in the first century without your husband's consent? Liberated women. You could divorce, if you were a woman, your pagan husband without their consent. Liberation. If you were a slave, you could become a Christian without the consent of your master. Liberation. Building up others with radical intent. Which is funny because the, early, the men of the early church, just like Jesus the well and the woman of Samaria, spent so much time building up others especially women. And in the thousand or so years after the initial apostles died, men began using the church to oppress women. Which is why it irritates me so much when people say, how can you preach? How can you be a Christian? It is so anti-women. No, it's not. Because if someone says that, you obviously haven't read Acts 16, where there was a purposeful intent to speak to people that other people label as inferior or disenfranchised. Did you know the church today is 60% women? So if anyone subjugates women, you are destroying the church. So anyone who is anti-woman, by implication, has to be anti-body of Christ, which is not in the Bible. Not only that, Paul and Silas approached Lydia with radical intent. 
They wanted to build her up. And look at the chain reaction. They spoke to her, and as a result, her and her entire house were baptized. They were converted over to Christ. And then Lydia says, I want you guys to stay with me in my house. And verse 16, 15 says, and Lydia prevailed upon us. Paul and Silas thought they were radical, but Lydia, being a powerful woman, stepped the game up one notch. She said, it's one thing for you guys to approach women in public, but I'm now going to invite you into my house to stay. Roman rules tell me that you guys are commoners. We shouldn't fraternize one another. But now that you've introduced me to Jesus and built me up and gave me confidence, I no longer see you as enemies or strange men. I now see you as fellow brothers in Christ. And she said, come and stay with me. And the, the text says she prevailed upon them. What does that, ver- that word mean? It means to compel contrary to nature. Every rule society imposed or stigma said you should not fraternize with these men. But she prevailed upon them and drew them in, demonstrating what? Christian hospitality. And that developed because two men were brave enough to say the rules of the world are wrong. This is a woman who is built for Christ. But it doesn't end there. The chain reaction gets better. There's more story we're about to get into, but basically Paul and Silas get into a whole mess of trouble. They're in jail. They're freed. When they leave jail, guess whose house they stop in? Lydia's. Acts 16, 14. They, Paul and Silas, went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Now check out this chain reaction. Lydia, many Bible scholars think, is the one who hosted the beginnings of the Philippian church. And why is that very possible? Because she was rich and therefore had the space and the resources to host people. We also know because she was prevailing, she was also very hospitable. So when she looked back on her life and said, what is my purpose? She could say, the reason why I'm wealthy and have these resources is to demonstrate hospitality to others. And that house church became the foundations of the Philippian church. But the chain reaction gets better. Paul, as I said, was a stickler for God's word. So if you got your doctrine wrong, he'll be the first person to let you know about it. He went as far to tell people, if you preach false doctrine, you are accursed. We're in the city of Philippi. So Lydia was a church mother of the Philippian church. And when Paul wrote Philippians, is it a sad letter or a happy letter? It is one of the most optimistic letters in the entire Bible, which means the church in which Lydia was a mother of now sowed the seeds of a strong Christian church, all catalyzed by what? Two men approaching a woman they weren't supposed to. Chain reaction. 
And the end result was sowing the seeds of a strong church that will evangelize many believers to come. Ingredient C. Choose Christ. Third ingredient, chain reaction, choose Christ. So after they meet Lydia, Paul and Silas keep going to the same place where they met Lydia. And there's a girl who's possessed, who the text says irritated Paul. This girl had a spirit of fortune-telling, and as a result, the masters who were in charge of her got rich because of her, because she would tell fortunes. But Paul one day got irritated, and he casted out the demon in the name of Jesus. And then when her master saw that their source of profit was gone, they got angry. And they said, who are you guys coming into our city causing confusion? And they did what civilized Romans would do. They formed a democratic group. And they said, you guys have a funny religion and you come from a foreign land. You don't know what Roman customs are like. You don't deserve to be here. Now, I made a vow never to preach politics, but does that sound somewhat familiar? People who otherwise wouldn't be united coming together to criticize those who come from a different place and have a different faith. So the group says, these two guys must be in jail. So they tell the jailer, put them in uh, the stocks, a torture device, and put them in the darkest part of the prison. And then we're at Acts 16.25. So the NIV says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And the end of the story is that the jailer cleaned the wounds of Paul and Silas. They then preached the word to him and baptized the jailer and his entire household. So ingredient C, choose Christ. What does that mean? It means two different things. When you choose Christ, that means you choose to be free. When you choose Christ, you choose to be free. 
Consider this. True freedom is not about how many choices that you have. It's about where those choices lead you. True freedom is not about how many choices you have. It's about where those choices lead you. God is not totally free. What does that mean? God is not free to sin. God is not free to lie. God is not free to tempt you. And it's the lack of options that makes God omnipotent, holy, and righteous. Because true freedom's not about the number of options you have. In fact, one of the greatest tricks the deceiver will ever pull on us is to convince us that more options equals more freedom. In the Garden of Eden, when the serpent asked Eve, did God really say, it was a setup to then plant a seed in her mind that there are more options for you. You can be more free. And the result of choosing options, as opposed to sticking with one option, God, led to the downfall of all of humankind. True freedom equals one choice. And that one choice is the only man who can bring you eternal life and salvation, who is Jesus Christ. Now in Acts 16, the jailer did not choose Christ initially. He chose not to be free. The jailer had a relationship with the jail. It gave him a title. Because in fact, the text never even names him, just calls him he or jailer. His identity was a function of a building. He would get up in the morning, he would go into the jail, and his livelihood was fueled by this prison, a place that kept other people in chains. And as a result, he would look at this jail and say, even though it subjugates people, even though it hurts people, this gives me food on my table. It gives me a title. He could look at the ring of chains on his belt and say, look, these men in here, they're prisoners. They have no options. They're not free. But since I have options, I can come and go as I please. I'm free because I have choices. The jailer was also a Roman. He could say, I'm a member, a citizen of the most powerful nation on the face of the planet. I'm a Roman. I have options. I can do as I please. In the same way, in 2015, we may have relationships with certain things, things that give us an identity, things that give us a sense of security or self-worth. We can say, I'm an American, land of the free. We have options. Therefore, we are liberated. But do you? Because you can walk into an ice cream store and have choices. You can choose from a hundred different flavors, but all of those choices have ingredients that can actually pose a threat to your long-term health. 
There are, I think, 10 different candidates now for the Republican ticket for president. So you have 10 different choices, right? But the question you have to ask yourself is, are those individuals going to actually add value to your life or conduct things that are going to take value away from your life? But you're free. You have choices, right? You can get 10 different offers for credit cards in the mail. You have choices. 20% APR, 1% APR. But every time you swipe that plastic and you're put into economic slavery, are you really free? Because it's not about the number of choices you have, it's where those choices lead you. And here's the thing. God did a hostile takeover of that jail. Everything the jailer thought was secure, the jail, everything the jailer thought was kept in place, prisoners were changed. Everything that he had a relationship, everything he derived his confidence from, was taken over by God Almighty. And when God touched that jail, the text says the foundations of the building shook. The foundations of every idea you thought was going to keep you safe were shook, and everyone's chains came loose. Because when you take all of these choices, which will not give you eternal life, and you put them and place them against God, those choices always lose, and God always wins. God shattered. Yes, yes. God shattered these fraudulent ideas for what they were, and the jailer was smart enough to read the, the writing on the wall. He knew everything that he was, and he said, the penalty for prisoners escaping is death. And he was about to take his own life with a sword, and he realized everything that gave him importance couldn't save him. He was deficient in something, which is why he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? Because if your salvation is secure, you already know the answer. But if you're asking that question, that means you've realized what you've been working with isn't going to work. And Paul and Silas gave him the answer. They said, you must believe. And in that belief, in choosing Christ... There's a choice to be free. I'm going to break that down further in the second part. When you choose Christ, you break the chains of others. When you choose Christ, you break the chains of others. Paul and Silas were always free. When they were in the jail, they were still free. And they broke the chains of others in three different ways. They broke the chains of circumstance. So Paul and Silas are in the jail. They're in the stocks, torture device. They're bound up in chains. And around midnight, they are singing praises to God. The prisoners would have looked at them and said, What is wrong with you guys? You are in jail. You are in a dungeon. 
What possible reason could you have to be happy? And Paul and Silas would have said, my brothers, you seem to be asking the wrong question. The real question is, what reason do we have to be sad? Because before we walked in this jail, we were free. Now that we are in chains, we are still free. And eventually, when we walk out of this jail, we are still going to be free. And we, as free men in chains, came to show you what happens, what liberated people do when circumstances try to bind them up. And we are going to praise God because we know this circumstance is temporary but we serve a God who is eternal. So if he takes us, yes. So if he takes us in a dungeon, if he takes us into a valley of the shadow of death, it doesn't really matter because we serve the God who controls the circumstance. The second way you break the chains of others is you break the chains of false identity. Prisoners would say, listen, you guys are annoying, it's midnight, you're singing, I want to go to sleep. Look at yourselves. You're talking nonsense. You are prisoners. You're in a jail. You're chained up. Act like prisoners. That's what you are. You're a prisoner. You're a nobody. Society has said, you are scum. Act like it. But Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas kept on praising. Because they would have responded and said, my brothers, you still don't seem to get it. Because before we walked into this jail, we were members of God's chosen elect. And now that we are here, we are still members of his chosen elect. And in a few verses, you're about to see what happens when God intervenes and sets everyone free. And when we walk out of here, we will confidently step forward in the blessed assurance being members of God's chosen elect. My brothers, you have it all wrong. You may think of yourselves as prisoners. We happen to be servants of the Most High God who happen to be in a prison. So you can throw whatever labels you want at us. You can call us derogatory names. You can say you're worthless. You're never, you'll never amount to anything. But when your identity is derived from the one who stands before time, over time now, and in the future, you will proudly step forward saying, I am made in the image and likeness of God, and I am chosen. And that assurance gives you the certainty to break the chains of false identity and to step forward. Third way they broke the chains of others. They broke the chains of expectation. The clearest example of how Paul and Silas were free is because when the earthquake struck and everyone's chains were loosed, did they go anywhere? No. They stayed put. 
They were acting like free men. The jailer expected them to run. When the jailer walked in, he expected to take his life. And who called out to the jailer? Paul and Silas did. The jailer was about to kill himself. Paul and Silas said no, because we're going to show you that when you choose Christ, the chains that are going to tell you to take your life are now going to be broken. And when they stayed inside the jail, they didn't physically assault the jailer. They didn't condemn him. But they showed him a way, a choice, a new, better way that will give him life. And when the jailer acts now, what must I do? They, built, they act with purpose and they built him up and showed him the one choice that would save him. In the same way, when we come before Jesus, we may expect to get judgment. But when we're asking, what must I do to be saved? Jesus realizes we know what we've been doing isn't working. So there's no value in condemning you further. He's now going to offer the solution and shatters the chain of expectation. Paul and Silas show the jailer what true freedom is, and that broke the chains of the person who put people in chains. And that is a chain reaction which can liberate the entire world. In conclusion, Acts chapter 16, we go from Paul in Turkey to Greece, speaking to Lydia, exercising a demon and being liberated from jail, which began the seeds of a Christian movement which would one day take over the entire world. It's a chain reaction built upon acting with purpose, building up others, and choosing Christ. And the key take-home point is this. Paul took little everyday steps to contribute to the chain reaction, and so can you. In fact, Paul's name in Latin, Paulos, means little. So he took a little trip across Turkey. He took a little bit of steps towards a woman one day in the Sabbath. He exercised a demon from a little girl. And he sung a little song of praise while in jail. And it's the sequencing of these steps, preordained, blessed, and overlooked by a loving God, which can transform anything in our lives from ordinary to extraordinary, from natural to supernatural. So you and I can take these same steps and must always remember the ultimate chain reaction is typified by the cross, where we have a heavenly father acting with purpose to send his son into the world, who incarnated and spent a life building up others and training them how to live, and then culminating that purpose on the cross when he broke every chain and liberated us to live for him and to ultimately choose Christ. So if you want to know what you must do, what is the key to catalyzing any reaction, the answer is simple. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. God bless you.
to this podcast from Dr. Sadako. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafo.com.